Kalana Barfield Brown episode of the Series B show hosted by Brandon Jones. In part one, Kalana shared her journey with us of going from intern for free to editor at large fashion and beauty at InStyle Magazine. Um, you can see her on the Today Show. You can find her on HSN. You can you know find her at the Oscars and Grammys and hanging out with a bunch of celebs. But uh, it was not an easy journey to get there. She also talks about her fashion inspiration and how to be fly with fashion. In this episode, she chats with us about her favorite brands, up and coming designers, and her fashion icons. She talks about a popular and somewhat controversial article that she penned as a feature in InStyle Magazine in April titled Pretty for a Dark Skin Girl, which addresses colorism um, in fashion in the world. Um, we talk about her you know, celebrity friends, um, athletes and rappers' influence on fashion, the hottest looks right now, and how to be fly on a budget. So one of my questions I have for you was, mm. which brands are you excited about? So you mentioned Chanel is a classic mm. brand you get really yeah, excited about. Yeah, for my about. bags, I love Chanel. I love Alexander Wang. Um, I love... I kind of go for, I have like a sort of edgy style. So I love um, Balenciaga. I um, I love, what other brands do I love? I can, I mean, keep going on and on. What's a new a new up and comer that you're excited about? Hmm. Who am I loving? There's a brand called Vitamins that is very fly, very fly. And again, it's because the shapes and the styles, you know, so it could be like, a jean that looks like a Levi, but the shape of the jean is just so different that just makes it stand out. And, and so that's like the cool brand. Who are your <clears throat> fashion icons? Hmm. Your all-time fashion icons. My grandmother is my first one. Mm. Uh, Diana Ross and Mahogany is second. Just fly. Just fly. Um, what about her specifically? I just, you know, I feel like you know, one thing that makes, one thing that when I think back of, you know, I think about my grandma's style, I think about, you know, Diana Ross and Mahogany, I feel like there was this polish to their look, but it's also about fit, you know, and I always tell people just because it zips doesn't mean it fits, (laughs) 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 just because it zips doesn't mean it fits, you know, so there was something about these clothes that were just tailored to perfection on, you know, on Diana Ross and Mahogany, it just fit her curves right, you know, it, she wasn't squeezing into anything that didn't fit her. It just looked very flattering on her. And that is so much of the appeal when it comes to fashion, in my opinion. It's about the way things fit on you. My grandmother's really big on that. You know, she goes to get something. If she buys a top, she'll take it to the tailor, and she'll make adjustments. She might change the buttons on, on the top to make it different, but she'll make adjustments that, so that, that that top fits her. It It's made for her. And that's how I felt like... Diana Ross looked at mahogany. Every single piece was just, it hugged her body just the right way. And I feel like that's where some people go wrong with fashion. They just don't know how to wear things that are their size, or they maybe they don't know what their size are sizes are. But I think that that's such of a, an appeal when you really can wear things that look good on your body type. Just because something's a trend and it's having a moment doesn't mean it's for you. You have to know your and understand your body. Like, everything doesn't look good on my body, and I stay away from things that, that aren't made for me, even if it, everybody in the world's wearing it you know that it's just not cut out for me so I find things that work for my body and then I feel like that that's interesting yeah for a couple reasons one it 
you're basically saying tailoring is a good investment. Yes, for sure. I spent so one. much money at the tailor. More, even month. probably as much as clothes. Yeah, you know, but then once you have it tailored, it really is that piece that you're going to be able to keep for years. Yeah. And then the second piece, which I kind of want to get into a little bit, um, is around this, how do people define beauty? So mm-hmm. a lot of what you emphasize was the fit of clothes because mm-hmm. people have different body types, mm-hmm. which the premise of that is there are different body types, mm-hmm. you know, in general, and right. that there's not one body type that everyone should aspire to. Absolutely. And So I, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I just think that, you know, and now, too, with social media and Instagram, there's, like, this pressure. You know, there's so many, so much pressure around women and body image. And you see girl, you know, you see women that make enhancements to their body. And I think, you know, there's some people that feel like they have to meet up to this standard. And I, I have this conversation with my sisters all the time. You know, we're all shaped very differently. And, it, you know, we always talk about where, you know, what we want to teach our daughters is to love their selves for who they are, love their bodies for who they are. And I think it's something that you kind of have to start. I think it's something that starts at home, you know, from like very young age, you know, just from your your parents telling, you know, telling your, your their children to love themselves because you can be compared. Like, there's just standards that you cannot cannot keep up with if you're not, you know, if you're not making a certain amount of money, you know. And a lot of people now, you know, they want to look like Kim Kardashian. That's just what they want to look like. And to me, I just feel like I look at people and I see, you know, your beauty, you're beautiful for what who you are is what makes you beautiful. Your uniqueness is what makes you beautiful. I don't want to look like everybody else. I just don't. That's just, you know, for me, that's, to me, that's not, you know, that's very cookie cutter. Like, I feel like my uniqueness is what makes me beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to, you know, encourage people to embrace whatever comes with with who they are, whether it's their skin tone, whether it's their body shape, you know, that, that's what makes, play that up and let that stand out. Interesting. Do you feel like the, for for folks that don't fit the traditional sizes, do you Mm -hmm. feel like, the, the challenge sometimes can be the lack of availability of things that they could buy of the high quality I do brands but I feel like fit. you know designers have done a much better job at that you know in being recent, inclusive yeah being inclusive in recent years so you know and that's another thing it's kind of like you know it takes some research if there's things that you know can't fit you you know it takes you know going out there and really looking and finding brands that you know have things for you and just kind of sticking with that like my closet is full of the same designers you know like I know who makes I know who make right. who makes things that really work for my body you know and so once you kind of find brands that work for you kind of I think it's a good idea to just stick with it because you know it's going to be flattering okay so we talked a little bit about um, traditional beauty mm-hmm. and how folks can make things work outside of that mm-hmm. really excellent piece in InStyle mm-hmm. um, that you wrote mm-hmm um, I forget the title specifically. It's called Pretty for a Dark Skin Girl. Pretty for a Dark Skin Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that idea come about? Come about. Okay. The journey of getting that idea um, approved. Approved <laughs> and published. Just mm-hmm. talk about that. Okay. So we had. Um, Which issue, by the way, so folks okay. can pick it up? So Pretty for a Dark Skin Girl is in the March issue. Sorry. Pretty for a Dark Skin Girls in the April issue of InStyle with Lupita on the cover. And how the story came about, um, we put Viola Davis on our January cover of InStyle. And it was such a big deal because 
no one had seen Viola Davis on the cover of a fashion magazine. So I, you know, being an editor at InStyle who's been with the company for many, many years, you know, we've always supported diversity. We've always had, you know, diverse covers. But, you know, a lot of times it's the same people. It's Beyonce, it's Holly Berry, it's J-Lo. Um, and it was shocking to a lot of people to see Viola Davis, someone of her age, someone with her beautiful dark skin, wearing her natural hair, you know, short natural hair. That was just shocking. And the amount of people who text me, like, oh, my God, I just saw your January cover. I was shocked, you know, to see Viola Davis on the cover of InStyle. Right. Like, that was a big deal. Like, wow, it, you know, really, really, I it made me turn my head. So I posted, I did a post on my Instagram about what the Viola Davis cover meant to me. Um, and I think... As someone with dark with darker skin, it for me it resonated because I saw a lot of myself in this cover. I saw a lot of myself in her. I saw a lot of my you know my family, my mom, in looking at this cover, and it was so beautiful to me for someone like her to have an opportunity to be on the cover of a fashion magazine. Mm -hmm. I don't really understand, you know, why she hadn't been on other magazines before. Um, so I posted it, and the response was just crazy. Like so many. I mean, the engagement in that post where, you know, people were like, finally, you know, a beautiful dark-skinned black woman, you know, on the cover of a fashion magazine. Or I I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Kudos to, you know, InStyle. Like, it was hundreds and hundreds of comments about, you know, about this cover. There were blogs that reposted my post and picked it up and wrote about it. And it started a conversation in my office about colorism because there were some editors who, you know, were like, wow, that post you did was so amazing. And I read, you know, I read some of the comments and I didn't understand why were there some people saying finally a dark skin black, you know, they, mm. they just didn't know, yeah, you know, which yeah. is crazy that in this year you wouldn't, you know, know anything, yep. you know, but they, you know, some of these cultures didn't have those barriers where, you know, dark skin, light skin was ever a thing, you know? So I, had to explain, you know, what colorism was. And um, we have this new first person page uh, or two pages um, in our new, in our, we have a new redesign of the magazine. Um, and my editor asked me, she was like, would you ever want to, you know, write about it? She's like, you know, cause she just was intrigued by me talking about colorism. She didn't know. Um, she had no idea, which is so, you know, so was so shocking in, 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 to in me. her industry in where her, she is. Yeah. You know, just because been. there's, you know, there's, I mean, it's beauty, you know, it's a beauty industry and, you know, this is such a thing, especially in our community, in the black community, you know, it's, it's been something that, you know, we've known our whole entire life and that we faced our whole entire life. And so initially I was a little resistant to it because, Whenever you start talking about race, whenever you start talking about skin complexion, it can be a very sensitive topic. And I didn't really know how it would be, would be perceived at all. Like, or even how know, to approach it. Or how to approach it. Exactly. How do, I, how do I write this piece that's very authentic to who I am, but without offending anyone? Also, because you know, as a black man, you know, I know as a black woman, you know, in our families, skin complexion is, you know, my cousins are, I have cousins who are five times lighter than you, mm. you know, and I have cousins who are darker than me, you know, so there's all shades in the black community in your, within your family. Like, you know, my grandmother is, her mother is half white. So my grandmother's very fair skinned, you know, and it's funny because I remember even growing up and, you know, being in school and having cousins that are very fair skinned and 
are you sure that's your cousin? Like, you know, how are you? You know, but that's, you know, our, our, that's our culture. Like, we run in all shades of brown. And... Which is beautiful. Which is beautiful. And so that's why colorism has always been something that just I've never been able to wrap my head around. It's something that I've never been able to understand. It's something that gets under my skin more than anything because I just think it's so ignorant. I just think it's so ridiculous. So I just didn't know how to... I just didn't know how it would be perceived. And then I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Like, at the end of the day, what I can make very clear is that this is my story. Mm. So no one else be offended you're gonna have your you have your own story but this is my story period so i made my truth and i just wanted to emphasize that because i didn't want anyone to be offended about it so i wrote about you know just my experience and just being someone who you know was raised in a family that you know my parents have always taught me my black is beautiful i've always been very confident i've always been very outgoing i've you know cheerleader, dancer, all these things, you know, but this was something that, you know, I faced in my life where there were some guys who would, you know, say things to you like, oh, you're pretty for a dark skin girl, as if, you know, you're pretty for a dark skin girl, but you're the not as pretty. Has, yes, is right. The exactly. premise is like, yeah, I guess it's you're, an oddity that as yeah. a dark skin girl, you're, you're as pretty as someone as else pretty. who's not dark skin. Or right. it could be taken like, you're pretty for a dark skin girl, like, wow, I'm shocked. Or it could be like, you're pretty. You can take it as you're pretty for a dark skin girl, but right. you're not as pretty, you know, if right. you're, it, as right. the light skin girls, right. you know. So this is just a thing, and you know. And for me, it wasn't until honestly I got to Howard where I was like, I walked on, and you just see so many. Because I grew up in Seattle once again, so you know the black. There's not a large pop- population, you know. There's not a large black community in Seattle, but it wasn't until I got to Howard where I was like, you know, saw so many people who look like me and, you know, were fly and, you know, where being just black was just celebrated. Right. You know, not to say that there weren't guys or girls who had those, you know, narrow minded standards, which, you know, I know there are. But it's, it's just, the Mecca. But it's the Mecca. Right. So didn't really matter. So um, so I wrote my story and it, you know, I mean, I. I would say in the many years I worked at this magazine, it was the, I mean, the most gratifying experience I've ever had to be able to tell my truth and to be able to see a story like that in I love it. in style. You know, this is a story that you would expect to see in essence. You would never expect to see, you know, a story like this in in style because we've never done anything like this. So, you know, I commend and I was so happy and honored to do it and that my editor gave me an opportunity mm-hmm. for this. And that he was so open-minded and wanted to touch on this topic and that he was touched by the piece and wanted to even start this conversation. And it's and, not and that this is an old... The, com- for the audience, com- how is the story doing? Oh, my gosh. So I don't know, you know, I don't know what the expectations were. He, I think he knew that he was taking a risk, but I do not think that, you know, he thought that the story would do nearly as well as it's done. It is like... The number one story on InStyle.com right now. It has been Viola Davis tweeted about it and Instagrammed about it. So many people have been, you know, so many people can resonate. This story has resonated with so many people, and the the response has just been overwhelming, like completely overwhelming. I mean, it's when I the people the amount of direct messages I've received from young girls on Instagram, like. Oh my God! Thank you for telling this story. This is my this is the story of my life. It's so great to see someone, you know, who someone like you who has a voice to who has a voice on a platform this large to be able to tell this story and you know 
this is what it takes to see change. Wow. And, you know, I mean, hundreds of direct messages, like hundreds. Wow. Um, so this is where my where it gets great in my career, where I was going to say that, you know, I've done a lot of things. But when you're able to do something that really makes a difference and um, really touches the lives of people, um, it makes them feel included, you know, because I think that that's what what's happened, you know, in media um, where People just want to be included. You know, people want to be included. And, and I've said this, you know, when we flip a page through a magazine and we see something that we see ourselves, we're going to support. Yep. You know, we're going to support. So, um, And not to mention, in Silicon Valley, um, the the idea of in the year 2040, the minority becomes the majority of the U.S. Mm-hmm. is becoming a big thing. So yeah. for all the brands mm-hmm. that um, are addressing the general market. Yep will get left behind if they don't change their model Absolutely. to reflect what America looks like. And ultimately, like, the globe looks like as uh, as other countries, emerging countries, start to get more more um, discretionary income. Absolutely. Two things from that story come stick out. One, like, this is like a big mouse on your career. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to, like, share your truth and mm-hmm. get the reception that you got mm-hmm. and also push your publication almost to the next level in terms of the conversation that kind of, you know, the, the where we are in the conversation around, right. uh, inclu- you know, inclusiveness. Right. The second piece is um, you, you start off saying social media was something that you kind of had to gravitate towards and, and build. And it sounds like you found your voice yeah. in social media. Mm-hmm. So let's start there. How did you get to a point where you, you knew how to engage with, and you have what, 70K mm-hmm. yep. or so Instagram followers now. Mm-hmm. How to share, how to engage, mm-hmm. how to do it in a way that's sustainable. Right. Where you're not putting up this like, you know, yes. front that you just yes. have to like. Yes. You know, it's hard work to keep up. Yeah, you know, for me, um, you're right. I actually I absolutely was very resistant to it in the beginning. Um, you know, especially Instagram, because I felt like a lot of people, you know, were bragging. It just seemed like a lot of people were bragging about their lifestyle or a lot of it just didn't seem authentic to me at all. Um, and for me, I was like, okay, you know, this is something that I need to do. And I just, I started to, when I started to post, I really started to post and it was things that were authentic. I think that that's the key is being authentic because when you're not, you can see straight through it. I think some people tried to model their, you know, their, their social media after someone that might they might see and is successful at it. But to me, you can see through that. If that's not really who you are, like people will be able to read through those lines. Um, so for me, it would be like, okay, you know, I'm going to an event. I'm at the Oscars. I'm on the red carpet. This is what I'm really doing. This is, you know, this is my job. And so for me to be here, you know, I'm just snapping a picture and, you know, talking about being here or whatever. And so it was really just documenting my life and my job. Um, but then also sharing stories that I've written that are meaningful to me or, you know, it was, it it really is a day in the life of kind of who I am and it's Mm. very organic and it's very authentic. And I think that that's the key is like really being true to yourself um, and kind of like not trying too hard, you know? And so in other pieces, the milestone piece, big milestone in your career. Mm -hmm. Um, some people look at you and say, you've made it. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you did it, X, Y, Z. You know, you're you're going to the Grammys, Oscars, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, places mm-hmm. that, you know, people can only dream to mm-hmm. go to. At what point in your journey mm-hmm. from making, basically working for free to mm-hmm. making 15 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. a day to mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. did you say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making it because, like, I'm going to my first event or they told, yeah. they told me to come along to this. Yeah. Like, do you remember that moment when you thought, like, this oh. is going somewhere? 
Hmm. Okay. There were so many different things. And it kind of all happened around the same time. You know, because when I started as an assistant, I was still an assistant. You know, I was someone's assistant, so I was doing a lot of administrative work. I was writing, but, you know, it was a lot of administrative work. But I would go to beauty events. Um, and for those who don't know, like, what market events are, so beauty events would be, you know, one of the, the great things that being at a magazine is that we see everything before it hits the market. So if NARS Cosmetics, MAC Cosmetics is doing a, co- a makeup collection, they're showing it to us, press, before you actually see it at these counters, these makeup counters. So we see it three months ahead. So every day, that's a day in the life of me. I'm going to events. I have to stop by this Neutrogena event. Then I have to go to this MAC event. So I was doing a lot of that stuff, but I wasn't really doing, you know, the photo shoots or things like that. So um, I think maybe my first big photo shoot was a photo shoot with Rihanna. And that what was year the, was this? This was right when Umbrella came out. Whenever that whenever that song that's came out. So that's when she, yeah, so she that's when she got big. So I did a beauty story with her, and um, we just had so much fun on set. And, you know, you started to realize, you know, InStyle's a celebrity magazine. So, you know, these people, like, after a while, if you start working with these people, they kind of become your friends. And, you know, and so that was kind of, like, that first experience. And I was never, like, I've never been someone who, like, is completely starstruck at all. Um, But going on set was just a different experience. You recognize that this is something that you only get access to. Absolutely. At a certain level. At a certain level. So, you know, doing a shoot with um, Beyonce, like these things were, when that kind of started happening and I could go on set, that was like a big deal. Um, I remember when I took my first trip to, I took a trip um, to Bora Bora for work and it was, um, to have a shoot um, on Francois Nars. He's the uh, owner of Nars Cosmetics. He has a private island um, in Bora Bora. That was so like, that alone was a win? That was like probably one of the, that was again <laughs> like a highlight of my career. Like, okay, I'm going to Bora Bora. This is where people yeah. like dream of going for their honeymoon. But I'm to going, a private island. Right, to a private island and to be on set and I'm going, you know, through work. <laughs> um, so that was like a very big deal. Um there, gosh, there's been so many things. Maybe my first Oscars was a big deal. Um, the first time I did a Today Show segment, you know, I never came into this thinking that I would start doing TV. And get into the home of millions and millions and, of yeah, viewers. Yeah, and, you know, and that's a big deal for me because, one, I think it's amazing to be able to, you know, be able to, exactly, be be into the homes of millions and millions of people, give this, a, you know, beauty or fashion advice. But two, that's something that my mom and my grandmother, they can really see my work. They can turn on the channel, turn to, you know, to NBC and see me on TV. And, you know, that's like a big deal. deal. And, you know, and it it makes them so proud. Um, But it's great when you start to just elevate and you start to see doors doors just open. You know, things that I, you know, going into now such a big part of my job is, you know, TV, um, Today Show, you know, Good Morning America, Wendy Williams. That's a very big part of my job. But it wasn't something that I saw when I went into this industry when mm. I first started. So, you know, that's great when it's like these doors started, you know, opening and then you start taking these curves in, in you know, your career and it's things that you're learning but never really had intentions on. And so it's great. So now that you know, in a lot of ways, you're becoming almost a public figure. Yeah. Because like you're saying, you're doing shows, you're mm-hmm. going here, you're going there. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this a little bit, but like now this is line of like, at what point do you keep stuff to yourself 
like mm. from a privacy perspective. Yes. Um, especially now you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're expecting. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be, you know, some level of um, privacy that you want to keep. Yeah. How are you thinking about that? Mm-hmm. How are you thinking about out of all the people you meet um, now that you're at a certain level, you don't know what folks' intentions are. Mm-hmm. Now that you have a platform, mm-hmm. it, how are you thinking about that? Because oh it's like more money, more problems. Like, <laughs> I like, know, uh, you know, um, that was another reason why I was like a little bit resistant about social media because I think some people overshare. Um, and so I'm very, I'm very um, conscious about what I do post. I don't give too much, you know. Every I don't document every single thing that I do, and a lot of my um, social media is work related. You know, um, I share my wedding, but for the most part, you're not gonna like see m- my husband all over my feed because he's he's private for me. You know, that's that's my real life. And that is like really, you know, that's my, that to me, that's so personal. Um, so I don't completely overshare, overshare when it comes mm. to that. Um, so I'm definitely, I just, you know, I really kind of monitor what I'm sharing and what I'm putting out there. And like you said, I'm expecting I'm about to have a baby, you know, I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> be the one, well, I say this now, but I'm not going to be the one that's setting up an Instagram account for my baby. Like, well, you're not trying to have like a Northwest situation <laughs> right, exactly. going on, like trademarking a name and all that. Exactly. Um, I don't think it'll be any of that. Um, but I think, you know, doing this, you're absolutely right. You really don't know what intentions people have. You know, there are a lot of perks that come with a job like this where you. Take get, me to the Grammys. Yeah, take me to the Can Grammys. Or did you get invited to this? Or, um, you know, can you send me some beauty products? Or, you know, do you have a discount at this store? You know, the all whole, these the all these things. And people people have no shame, you know. But um, I think after a while you can kind of see through it, yeah. you know. Like, you know, you know, a lot of my friends, um, they really know. You know, a lot of my friends, especially my, you know, my friends from day one, my friends from Howard, my friends from, you know, back home, like, they saw me grinding from the very beginning, and they can really tell you, like, no, she worked for that. Mm-hmm. You know, she worked for that. So those are the people that, you know, I'm like, I'll do anything for it because they were with me from the jump, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just have to be a very good judge of character. I love to hear maybe a story or two of folks uh, where you perceive them a certain way, either super nice, and then when mm-hmm. you met them, yeah, it wasn't the case, or, or someone who was like you know mm-hmm. reputation for being a diva. You met them, like this is the nicest person in the world. Yeah, okay. Well, I definitely have a story about uh, someone who I really thought was just like the nicest person, and I feel like America. <laughs> I feel like she's America's sweetheart. They just don't know she's not really a sweetheart. Um, so I'll, I'll she'll rename, re- remain nameless. But um, I was at the Oscars and. Uh, this person was there, and this person um, was nominated for an award. Um, and after the Oscars is the governor's ball. So that's where, you know, right after the ceremony, everybody goes straight to the governor's ball. That's where you have to get your Oscar engraved. And, you know, it's basically like the next stop that you go straight from the so ceremony. So she won the Oscar? Yes. And she was still in a bad mood? Well, she wasn't a, in a bad mood on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, she won an Oscar, and I was there, you know, as a reporter. And um, so, you know, I'm at the Oscars. I'm the, I'm at the Governor's Ball afterward, and I'm doing my interviews. Saw so many amazing people that were just so nice. Julia Roberts, who is so incredible, like, went up to her, got some quotes from her. She grabbed some of her friends, helped me get some quotes from them for my story. And, you know, um, 
just had a good time. And there's obviously a lot of pressure when you're in a room like that because these celebrities are being attacked by so many people. Everybody wants a picture, everybody, you know, so it is, you know, I get it. It's a very intense environment for them. But at the same time, they're going into this governor's ball and they know that that's going to be expected. Mm. This is what they do. Um, So this one certain person who, you know, won the award, um, it was, you know, she had given like the most beautiful speech and everybody, I mean, if you logged onto social media, everybody was in tears and everybody was just, (laughs) you know, she was the girl. She is it. She's the new thing. Everybody loves her. And I did too. So I'm standing, you know, I I saw her, a lot of people were talking to her, she was with her family, and I kind of stood back and waited until, like, the ghost was clear, but obviously because she won, it was very important for me to to include her in my story and get in front of her her and to have this conversation with her. Very quick, just wanted a few quotes, you know, for my story. So I tapped her, um, you know, she, the ghost was clear, everybody was around her, um, and I had actually met her like three weeks before at the Golden Globes, she was perfectly nice, perfectly nice, took pictures together, talked and everything. So, you know, I tapped her, you know, hi, do you remember me? But while she was like, uh-huh. Um, I was like, you know, I went to get a few quotes from my story. She looked at me up and down, rolled her eyes and said, no. Wow. <laughs> and was so rude with it. And I just, you know, had never, ever, ever been treated like that. Been by that place before. Ever. Ever. And um, I just had, I, I mean, like, I remember calling my husband, who at that time he was my boyfriend, but calling my husband, like, completely shocked, so hurt, and just feeling, like, just completely disrespected. I just, it, was, it wasn't even that she declined. It was that it was the way she the did way she it. Did. It was her attitude. It was the way, you know. And funny, funnily enough, you know, our paths have crossed several times since then, and, you know, she had, and I, she knows me. She knows me. Um, and, you know, depending on the day, you know, one day it's all good. And the next day, you know, is is that same person. So it may be something out. going on, some bipolarness going on. Bipolarness, maybe even like, you know, I don't know, competitiveness. I don't know what it is. Um, you probably know who it is by now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> listen, people can take their guesses, but yeah, it's you not can confirmed. Take your, yeah, you can take your guess. It's not confirmed. But, um, uh, yeah, it was it was definitely um, an interesting situation, and definitely you know, for the most part, I always find that the celebrities who are really established, um, you know, the Beyonces, the Julia Roberts, the Jennifer Anistons, they are the most professional, and they are you know they know that what comes with the territory, and they are the nicest people. You know, right. they treat people with respect, and a lot of times it's the people that are the newest. The people that, you know, let it go to their head. Don't know how to act, yeah. Those are the people that, you know, don't, you know. Interesting. That, uh, you know. So, um, after a while, I mean, perfect example, this one. Yeah. You're going to see people again. Yeah. Right? So, like. Especially when they live in your apartment building. (laughs) (laughs) So, this person that I'm talking about, she actually lives in the same apartment as me. (laughs) So, she's really going to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But over time, like, as you continue to solidify um, your platform Mm -hmm. in the industry, these people probably become friends or you yeah. know, after a while, like they're like, okay, you're one of us. Yeah. And, and like, we can actually, right. you know, share. Mm-hmm. How did you initially start to confront that? Was it weird when you got to the point where like, wait a second, I actually think we're becoming friends. Yeah. And this is not just me covering a story. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I felt like I know you, right. you know, we, we, we have small talk, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, 
how did you kind of get comfortable in that space? You know, um, I think because, one, because I kind of come from, uh, my background obviously is as a beauty editor. So some of my best, best, best friends in the world are celebrity hairstylists and makeup artists. Mm -hmm. So I've oftentimes been in situations where I'm literally around my friends or I get to an event and they're with their client, but you know, they're my friends. So we all end up hanging around each other. Um, I definitely find that, you know, a lot of the black women, um, we just connect, camaraderie. you know, it's just camaraderie. We, we, we connect the Gabrielle unions, Tracy Ellis Ross, you see them so much and they're just, just cool. get each other. People, we understand each other. We get each other. Um, you know, we just run in the same circles and a lot of um, way codependent. Co- yeah, absolutely. It's not a one way street. Absolutely. You know, I can call them if I'm if I have a story idea or need something, they can, you know, call me if they need something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um I find that they just those relationships start kind of started happening organically. Um but for me it's been, you know, it's been a little bit easier because I think a lot of times it ends up happening through their glam squad. I don't know. It's just it's just me being in the in the position that I'm like friends with so many of these makeup artists and hairstylists. So, you know, when they see that you have a connection with someone who's kind of part of their crew, I think they feel a little bit more comfortable. Got it. Yeah. Do you have any funny stories? Meaning, like right now, mm-hmm. you've made it to a certain extent. You're no longer the intern grabbing coffee for other mm-hmm. folks. So mm-hmm. I assume you have interns that are now yes. giving you coffee, et cetera. Yeah, I try not to be that. I try not to be that <laughs> um, that type of manager where I'm like, go get my lunch or anything like that. Um, but definitely, you know, stories of, you know, gosh, interns coming in and just, you know, just being so funny because they like really – you know, it's funny because like I have a, I have some interns who I've hired. I love hiring Howard Howard girls. That's awesome. I love how hire you know from I my alma alma mater. Yeah, um, and some girls, you know, they are just like they are just dedicated. And it, I feel like when it's the girls from Howard, I don't know. I think that they they don't just want to disappoint. They're appreciative of you know me taking a chance on them or whatever. But anybody that I hired is obviously deserving of mm-hmm. the opportunity. And those girls come in, and it's almost like they think that, you know, it's like they're pledging, you know. Like, <laughs> they treat me like I am, you know, like, right. what can I do for you? I'm not leaving. You know, it's just it's just so funny because I understand it because I pledge, and I've, you know, I've been in that position. So right. a lot of those girls, you know, they definitely treat me like that. But then you'll see on the opposite end of the spectrum, the girls who come in and, you know, just might be entitled. Maybe they come from money. Maybe they really don't, you know, need, per se, an internship. And they really look at it and think of it in, you know, as, like, a fun thing. Like, it's just cool to say, I work for a fashion magazine. Right. You got to weed those. And yeah. Weed those and, you know, they, they don't, I mean, you, they will look you like look at you like you are crazy when you ask them to do something. Like, oh, really? You know, they, they're really second-guessed. And it's just, those are the people that have to go. But it's just, we kind of laugh, you know, because... There's always somebody who can be replaced, so they get replaced very easily. Have you had any situations where, like, I imagine just coordinating schedules with some of the folks that you guys are covering or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be is is hard? And so high stakes oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Has there been any situations where, like, you know, you're either doing a shoot or something Mm -hmm. and things are just, like, going wrong? Yeah, well, we forgot this. We forgot that. Yeah, you know, we I think we have it down to a science now. Um, So it's really really, really organized, but you never really know. You know, there's times where the car didn't pick up, you know, pick something up and, you know, you have to scramble. There's definitely times where, you know, 
a box didn't make it to LA and we're there waiting for it. So we have to, at the last minute, go pull clothes from apartment stores or whatever the case is. There's obviously always, you know, the troubleshooting, but it's all been done. And I feel like, you know, I've been doing this for so long that we just know what to do, you know, in these instances. And you just have to be like quick on your toes. So you know your stuff. So this is where I want to go a little bit Mm -hmm. next. Um, One thing I like about us getting older Mm -hmm. and and getting wiser Mm -hmm. is that we actually know stuff and we mm-hmm. we have a perspective mm-hmm. we have history i mean you've yeah, been, been in the game that. Yeah. you've been in the fashion game for 15 years mm-hmm. um or longer maybe mm-hmm. 15 15 years mm-hmm. which is not insignificant wait you're aging me it's been 12 years well you started with an internship oh yeah 15 years okay let's just yeah. round up a little just bit. remember that i was a baby then <laughs> <laughs> but you know i want to hear what to you do you see in the future of fashion we talked a little bit mm-hmm. about the concept of like the browning of America, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that basically there's this um, idea that by the year 2040, uh, America will be majority minority, mm-hmm. people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, for example, I was traveling in India two weeks ago for work, mm-hmm. and um, I'm walking through the airport. Mm-hmm. We're in India. Mm-hmm. Everyone's brown. All the in the um, the duty free mm-hmm. cologne. All like Euro models mm-hmm. for every product mm-hmm. from like the alcohol to the mm-hmm. perfumes to mm-hmm. the clothes to the jewelry mm-hmm. is like you're seeing nothing but mm-hmm. uh, like Euro yeah. um, style models. And I was just like, that's changing. that's, that's going to change. That's interesting. So yeah. what are, you know, not to lead you anywhere, but like what are some of the changes that you see happening um, or may even changes that may be overdue in a fashion I industry? definitely think diversity. And I think it's over it's overdue. Um, long, long, long overdue. You know, one of my good friends is Iman model. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we have conversations about this all the time. And, you know, sh- she really had those days where she would show up, you know, for a fashion show and, you know, there were no foundation shades for her, you know, things like that. And I think that that completely is starting to change. And I'm so happy to see this change finally happen, whether it's overdue or not, um, that there's more, you know, diverse, there's a more diverse um, group of, you know, models um, from all, you know, ethnic backgrounds. Um, Also designers, too, you know, just seeing like more designers of color and also just designers embracing our culture, you know, the music that's being played at shows. Um, Some designers have, you know, all people of color, you know, to make a statement running, you know, walking their sh- walk their shows. And so you see this um, change, and I just think it's for the better because mm-hmm. finally it's getting through that we have, you know, this impact and that we want to see, you know, we need to, that representation is important. Um, so that's like the major change that I just see happening right now in who fashion do you credit, and beauty. Who do you, let's talk about like a Kanye, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ricardo Tishi mm-hmm. and, and these guys, like I definitely see. blurring the lines of fashion. Would yeah. you say... Like a Kanye had a lot to do with um, kind of like some of the culture being more, you know, embedded into what you're saying. I think Kanye. Like, who, who would you attribute some of the? the I think it's. To? I think it's. I think it's Kanye, but I think it's even deeper than Kanye. It's a lot of you know athletes, a lot of um, musicians, rappers who are wearing these designers, and they see. You know, when the, when their clothes are on these people, the the impact that it makes, and how it drives sales. 
And then they start to embrace, they jump on the bandwagon. That would be the smart thing to do. So you start to see people like, you know, um, Victor Cruz get a campaign with, you know, with Givenchy. And Ricardo Tichy's been great because he's really been somebody that, you know, Jay-Z, you know, wearing his stuff and he really loves the culture. Um, but I think the, I think our um, impact is just undeniable. But you see... A lot of people, fashion has become so big that everybody, you know, style is it's all about it. You know, mm-hmm. even if you're watching the NBA, you know, All Star Weekend, it's the dunk contest. You see all the basketball, young basketball players in the front. They're wearing the coolest designers, the off white jacket that I have on right now. You know, which is by Kanye West's best friend Virgil Abloh. But you know, they know what the cool things are, and it's a culture. And once we see it, you know, on them, and you, all these kids are following these athletes. And then they want to buy it, and you just start to see the money. You start to see the sales, and you can't really deny the impact that we have and the influence that we have. So it's always – I feel like it's always been like that. Like, you can even go back. I think Tupac used to walk the runway mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. in the day, mm-hmm. and you saw, you know, Biggie wearing yep. uh, Versace shirts mm-hmm. and this and that. But I do remember there being, initially in the earlier stages of hip-hop, a little bit of pushback from the brands. Right. Like you I, see. I think that there was, like, a story about um, – it was, like, either Biggie or, you know, one of the – or maybe even JC, one of the you know one of the alcohol companies where they didn't want it was Crystal, Crystal exactly they didn't and that's want, when Ace of Spades came out yes where basically they said we don't like the idea that you guys mm-hmm. are taking our brand and putting it into these environments. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see. I, I feel like that less of that is happening now. Yeah. Because you know money talks. Money talks, and so now it's like post. You know. Take a picture. Can we take? You know, they're posting pictures. You know, on their on these designers are reposting pictures of these celebrities in their clothes. These what do you think changed? Because the money opportunity was also should have been apparent even then mm-hmm. from a crystal perspective. Mm-hmm. What do you think changed between them not looking at it as a you know as a great economic, business yeah. opportunity yeah. to you know tap into this? Um, I just think the popularity of of of. You know what? That's a great question, but I think it must just be like the popularity of our of of being brown, mm-hmm. you know, in the culture. And it's just like everything's changed. You know, I think Barack Obama has some influence on that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that you know just seeing the world diversify, you know, it's kind of like it, you can't deny you can't deny it anymore. And so it's. You know, it's been interesting to see how fashion has been a part of this and how fashion has influenced so much of this because there's so many. I mean, I mean that's what your your appearance is such a big part of your image. And so people put effort into their appearance. And now it's, you know, what did Michelle Obama wear to, you know, right. everything. It's like headline news, you know, when it comes to fashion. Fashion capitals of the world, as mm-hmm. someone who's not in fashion, mm-hmm. New York is number one. Paris, yeah. Milan is what I hear. Yeah, I, I would say probably Paris and New York are number one. You wouldn't put Milan in there? And then Milan. Well, can we just say all three, Paris, <laughs> New York, and Milan are all together? Who's the upcoming country on the fashion side that you'd say, like, you know, they're, they're actually bringing to the table some quality stuff that... Oh, that's a good question. I, I really don't have an answer for that. Okay, so like... <laughs> Not a Rio. Yeah, not like no. Okay. Even like you know, LA is trying to do like the Fashion Week in LA. Like we, everybody laughs at it. Like we just think it's funny, you know. <laughs> like it's not, it's not. You know, they really don't have an influence. You know, I mean, it's just like you live on the west coast now. Like when I go to LA, New York is just 
it's just style. It's just Paris is just style. LA is, you know, a very easygoing, you know, it's very, much more casual. Right. You know, right. so it's just. They don't take it seriously there. Yeah, it's just much more lax. What look right now is hot? What's, what's the next look? Um, I mean, there's so many, and it just is all about personal style, but I think menswear is like a big thing now. You know, even, you know, a lot of even seeing menswear on women, you know, a lot of, you know, girls are wearing sneakers, you know, where it was now all, you know, a few years ago it was all about stilettos. Now you see girls in, you know, Yeezys or Hirachis or whatever, you know, it's like sneakers are, you know, sexy, you know, now. Um, so a lot of menswear, a lot of sporty, uh, looks leather pants, you know, but joggers, you know, um, it's kind of like an oversized, more loose, casual look, um, but with interesting textures. What know? for folks that are on a budget mm-hmm. and can't can't spend the money on the classic brands we talked about? Mm-hmm. What are the chains that you would say are at a price point that people can afford that you mm-hmm. say like they actually have good? Um, I think Zara is great. Like Zara really taps into all the trends that you see you know, big designers doing, but at an accessible price point. Um, I would say that, you know, that's, that's my, that's that's my number one. Absolutely. And then everyone's rocking Zara, though. Yeah, but so you have to figure out how to, you know, <laughs> you have to be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about your future. Okay. Um, you've been able to establish yourself in the industry over, like, the last, we rounded up to 15 years from 12. Mm-hmm. Um, you have at least 30 solid years uh, left ahead of you. Thank God. That is a long, <laughs> that is a long time to do some damage. Mm-hmm. What are some of your longer-term goals that you'd like to achieve? Yeah, well, you know, I think my first goal was just to, you know, to have a family. And so I'm, I feel so blessed, you know, to be at the age that I am. Year. Yeah, that, you know, that I have, you know, an amazing husband, about to have a daughter, um, and we're building our family. So that's just incredible because I see, you know, it's a blessing to be able to have that. So that, you know, that's like my number one thing because family is first for me. Um, Career-wise, I love where I am, but, you know, I obviously want to continue to grow. And, you know, like I told you uh, earlier um, offline, like one of the things that I love about my job so much is that there's so much texture in it. Not No day is the same. One day I'm at a market appointment. The next day I'm on a press trip. The next day I'm at a photo shoot. The next day I'm doing a segment on it you know, TV or filming video. And so I love that every day is different. So that's what I want to continue to do with my career. Um, Whether I stay in magazines or, you know, end up consulting for brands, whether beauty or fashion, uh, whether I, you know, go strictly into TV or not strictly into TV, but if I, you know, go into TV but can still do other things at the same time, I want to continue to juggle a few different hats um, just so that, you know, it keeps me interested. Got you. Yeah. What about um, tech? Anything that, you know, do you see a like a convergence of maybe tech things that you're working on? Would you be interested in like maybe advising companies or totally. stuff like that where yeah. folks, you know, are looking for someone with your insights in the industry? Absolutely. And that's what I mean by consulting, you know, whether it's a tech company that, um, you know, is looking for, you know, to kind of know the insight that I have on all these years at, you know, magazine and, and fashion and beauty, um, or whether it's with a beauty company, you know, um, I'm also doing a lot of stuff with HSN right now, you know, which is that's a big platform. A big, That's big platform. Money. A big platform. And, you know, before I, I had no idea until I started with them, you know, doing um, segments with them. We have a new 
jewelry line for InStyle, and I'm the on-air person. I didn't even really realize how big of a platform, you know. I didn't realize you guys actually um, sold jewelry. This was this is brand new. It's brand new. That's we big. had our launch a few weeks ago. Talk so. about revenue streams. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, it's all about kind of you know finding. And you're the face. Know. Yeah, so that's a good thing and a blessing too. Um, so I just want to keep on doing what I'm doing and just continue to grow and you know. Um, keep it textured, keep doing different things. And, you know, it's interesting how things just kind of fall into your lap, things that I may not even be aware that I will be into. But, you know, when it's when it's presented, you know. All right. Well, look, this thank was you. fun. Yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> thank you for, uh, for you know, uh, being on the Series B podcast. And uh, so hopefully fun. you'll be a recurring guest and we'll continue yes. to catch up. Yes. When it moves to video, come find me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we'll hang out in the Bay next time you're around. For sure. And that concludes part two of the Kalana Barfield Brown episode of the Series B show hosted by Brandon Jones. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, you can find, you know, Kalana's Instagram handle as well as the link to the article Pretty Poor Dark Skin Girl on the Series B website. That's seriesb.co. And until next time, remember, be you, be true.